The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. Stocks put a stop to their ongoing slide with tech uh, snapping its longest losing streak since 2016. Markets fighting to keep that momentum going in today's session. A key interest rate decision on deck with the European Central Bank poised to carry out another big high to combat inflation. We are going to preview what to expect from Christine Lagarde and the ECB. Plus, Apple officially pulling back the curtain on a slew of new products, including its latest iPhone, Watch. But will the stock get a pop? We've got the answer. Shares of GameStop also jumping in a big way as the retail trader favorite announces a new deal with one crypto platform. And are you ready for some football? The NFL is set to kick off its new season as online gambling platforms look to cash in on an expected record, record number of bets. It is Thursday, September 8th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan at this hour. Let's kick it off with a look at the trading day, how it's shaping up futures right now. After the big rally we saw on Wall Street are trading slightly higher. The Dow is up about six points. Nasdaq higher by four. Stocks rallying yesterday, putting a stop to the recent selling streak. The Dow and the S&P both gaining more than one percent. The Nasdaq, the big winner, though, jumping about two percent. Let's take a look at the bond market. The 10-year yield right now, yesterday it was at about 3.3 percent. We're right below that at 3.25 percent at this hour. Let's turn to the oil market. We've seen a bit of volatility there. Crude prices falling to their lowest levels since Russia invaded Ukraine on recession fears and downbeat China trade data. Let's take a look at WTI crude. We're higher, $82.11. Bread crude right below $90 a barrel at $88.16. And taking a look at cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Ether right now are higher. Uh, marginally, Ether is up about 3%. Bitcoin higher nearly by 1%, back above 19000 for Bitcoin. Around the world we go, a mixed session in Asia overnight. Japan's Nikkei leading the region, surging more than 2% on the back of Wall Street's rebound. And taking a look at early trade in Europe, how we're shaped up ahead of the ECB meeting, or higher. In the green, FTSE 100 up about a half a percent. France, we're higher by three-tenths of 1%. Sticking with Europe, a major rate decision on deck from the European Central Bank. Arabile Goumede is in London for a look at uh, what to expect. we got a big decision ahead. Yeah, certainly do have a big decision ahead, Seema. Thank you so much for the time. Look, the ECB is going to kind of set the tone on what exactly needs to be done. Of course, we saw Canada raise interest rates by 75 basis points. Will that be the same uh, sentiment then uh, as well for the ECB? Christine Lagarde will possibly focus uh, as well on the messaging, kind of giving a sense of where to from here for uh, Europe. Front-loading those uh, interest rate hikes then does mean that the economy perhaps can get some sense of stability. 
going through the rest of the year and only increasing rates as is needed. Speaking to a few analysts, we've gotten the sense that that will certainly be the case, front-loading those rate hikes, but we will still see uh, a few uh, come through before the end of the year. Certain economies may even begin to flatline by the end of the year. The likes of France expected to have 0% growth in the last three quarters, uh, the last three months of the year, should I say, in that final quarter. So how exactly the interest rate situation is laid out from Christine Lagarde later today will certainly uh, bear just how much pain the inflationary pressure has put on the rest of Europe. Arabile, thank you for so much for that preview. We are waiting for that decision. Let's get a check on this morning's other top stories. Pippa Stevens is here with us now. Good morning, Pippa. Good morning, Seema. The Chinese city of Chengdu extending its COVID lockdowns indefinitely. Those rules were expected to be lifted yesterday, but officials late in the day said the virus still posed a risk in some areas. Of the city's more than 21 million residents, 16 million are under lockdown. A handful of districts have been released from full lockdown, but residents there still have to undergo mass testing tomorrow and Sunday. Sticking with China, President Biden is reportedly delaying his decision on whether to remove any Trump-era tariffs on imports of Chinese goods. According to Bloomberg, the president making the decision while his administration looks at ways to help business seeking relief from the tariffs. Last week, the office of the U.S. Trade Representative announced a review allowing businesses to weigh in on whether any particular tariff is costing jobs or a competitive edge. And a new product from Google aimed at paying publishers to feature their content is reportedly nearly a year behind a schedule for its launch. According to The Wall Street Journal, negotiations with media outlets over Google News Showcase have stalled over terms. The journal says some feel Google is not paying enough for content, while others want to wait and see what happens with a bill in Congress giving publishers stronger negotiating power with tech platforms. Seema? Wow, just another challenge looking at Alphabet, down about 24% this year. Pippa, great to see you. Thank you so much for that. Markets putting a stop to their most recent slide Wednesday with the Nasdaq snapping its seven-day losing streak, its worst stretch since 2016. Even with the rally, stocks remain on a downtrend, especially tech. Investors fleeing the once-loved sector in mass as worries over a slowing economy and more rate hikes from the Fed push investors away from riskier parts of the market. So could now actually be the best time to dive back in? For more, let's bring in Dina Shakir, partner at Lux Capital, which does focus on investing in technology startups. More on that in a moment. But first to the broader markets, Dina, from inflation, concerns about growth, interest rate hikes. What would you say is the main catalyst behind uh, the recent underperformance in tech? Good morning, Seema. It's great to be here. You know, we focus on private markets, of course, investing in everything from pre-seed to pre-IPO. Um, but the public markets definitely have an impact on valuations. It might take a little longer to get to the private markets, but we've been seeing that. You know, there's so much volatility, everything from the macro, geopolitical to inflation, that is directly impacting uh, private markets now um, a little bit sooner than we would have expected. Uh, when it comes to tech, these are higher growth, higher risk investments, uh, where oftentimes in these moments of market volatility, there is more of an impact than you would see on the, on the more secure sectors. How much would you say valuations have come down 
uh, based on the performance of public markets in, in this year, Dina. It's certainly been uh, volatile. I imagine that that's impacted startups, their ability to raise money, or how much your team wants to allocate. Uh, yes and no. On the one hand, there is an unprecedented amount of dry powder, as we call it, out there. Large venture funds that were raised that still have plenty of capital to allocate. And um, that's certainly the case for us as well. We continue to be actively investing. Um, certain rounds, especially at that sort of mid-growth stage in between, you know, maybe a Series B and Series D, are seeing rounds come together a little more slowly. I think there's been a bit of hesitation among some investors to price, especially as you're nearing more of a public market opportunity. What do those comps look like? Some of the uh, exuberance that we experienced in 2021 was related to what we were seeing on the public markets. And that looks a little bit different today. However, I continue to be optimistic that this is a moment in time. We're not day traders. We're investing in 10-year time horizons as venture capitalists. Um, and now the moment is actually excellent to be investing in those long-term opportunities at the earliest stages. I know you focus on a lot of different areas within technology, specifically the intersection between healthcare and tech. One major deal over the last few weeks, Amazon uh, uh, acquiring one medical for nearly $4 billion. We're seeing a bit more M&A in this space. Are you expecting more? And what do you make of this deal? Uh, absolutely. I think we're, we're going to see more across the board. That's usually the case when one of the big uh, giants makes a large acquisition. And it's not Amazon's first rodeo when it comes to healthcare. It really signals the large opportunity in healthcare across sectors. It's showing that healthcare is not only a separate sector anymore, but transcends into tech, into consumer, uh, into security. Um, and I expect we'll see more M&A, especially in this moment where we're seeing a little bit less activity on the public side. I think it's great news for many of our companies at the earlier stages that will continue to be customers of these large enterprises, that will be vendors for them, and that will uh, only accelerate innovation. I know the FTC is reviewing this deal. Uh, in general, regulation, Dina, has been a larger challenge for big tech. How do you navigate that risk when you're investing in, in new companies? You know, uh, I do focus on health tech, as you mentioned, where there's not only the security risk, of course, but uh, it is rightfully so one of the more regulated sectors. Um, and yet it is also one that has not seen enough innovation to date and where innovation is needed most, especially when you're talking about improving human health in areas like women's health um, in infrastructure and R&D. Uh, you know, we do, uh, do significant diligence at the earliest stages to make sure the team is well equipped to navigate these regulatory challenges. Uh, and we've seen incredible progress, even at the earliest stages in companies that can take these challenges head on. All right. You're optimistic then. Uh, Dina, great to see you. Thanks for joining us today to talk all things tech. Dina Shakir Thanks. of Lux Capital. When we come back, the crypto deal that has GameStop investors showing more love for the stock. Shares on the rise this morning by 9%. Plus, ongoing global energy concerns fueling a climb in uranium stocks. The power producers seeing a big pop on those worries. We've got those. And later, Disney rolling out a bevy of new content on its Disney Plus platform. But will it be enough to give it an edge in the increasingly comp uh, competitive streaming wars? A very busy hour still ahead on Worldwide Exchange. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. The energy crisis in Europe and concerns about our energy security in the U.S. is forcing officials to take another look at nuclear power as an option to keep the lights on for millions. And that renewed focus giving uranium stocks a real jolt as of late. Pippa Stevens has that story. Pippa. Hey, Seema. Well, in an otherwise lackluster month for the overall market, uranium stocks are a bright spot. Investors are piling into the space in a bet that nuclear power will see a resurgence. Two funds that track the sector, the URA and URNM, both in the green over the last month. Producers like Cameco and Kazadimprom up sharply. More speculative names like Paladin Energy and Denison Mines also rallying. Companies focused on building out U.S. production include energy fuels and uranium energy. Nations around the world are pointing to nuclear's importance, with Europe in the throes of an energy crisis and global power prices jumping. The EU recently designated nuclear as green under its taxonomy of sustainable investments. Japan and South Korea among the countries that have said they will add more nuclear. And here in the U.S., California lawmakers voted to keep Diablo Canyon online. And investors have taken note. Assets in global nuclear and uranium-focused funds topped $3 billion this year. And despite the recent gains, Sprott Asset Management CEO John Champaglia telling me the trade isn't crowded. He believes there's more runway ahead thanks in part to robust interest from institutional investors. But Seema, with double-digit gains in the last month, you got to wonder if uh, maybe a, a slowdown is coming. Yeah, and Pippa, I'm so curious. Russia's war in Ukraine cer- certainly driving the price of commodity prices higher. But what role does Russia specifically play when it comes to nuclear power? So they are a major player in the global nuclear trade. They account for about 40 percent of the global uranium enrichment market. So they're a key player. And U.S. utilities rely on Russia for about 20 percent of our enriched uranium. And remember, nuclear power in the U.S. is about 20 percent of our overall grid. So you can't just turn that off. And right now, utilities are still taking delivery of uranium from Russia under previously agreed to contracts. But the longer Russia's war in Ukraine wages on, you've got to wonder if maybe some of that business deal will slow. And then where are we going to get uranium? A lot of countries are scrambling to secure supplies. Yeah, our world is, after all, interconnected. There's been, of course, a lot of focus worldwide on resource availability. Yesterday, European CEOs complaining about uh, nickel, aluminum, how there's a scarcity out in Europe. What about uh, uranium? Is there a chance we could run out there? So uranium is found everywhere, including in the U.S., but again, with raw materials, it's all about getting it out of the ground and then the multi-step process before it actually ends up in that reactor. And so last year, the about 440 reactors around the world used roughly 180 million pounds of uranium, but we only mined 130 million pounds. So that is part of the bull case here, which is that the market is in deficit Right now, we're still working our way through supplies after the Fukushima disaster. 
cooled the, the uranium and nuclear market broadly. But going forward, that is going to start catching up with more and more demand. And as of right now, we're not seeing a lot of new supply come online. This is such a fascinating story. Pippa Stevens, thanks for bringing it to us. The promise of nuclear power. Still on deck. Amazon CEO bucking the trend among some leaders on returning to the office. The strategy he's taking for the e-commerce giant's workers when Worldwide Exchange returns. We're back in two. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. It's been nearly three years since the launch of Disney+. Plus. To mark the occasion, Disney is calling today Disney Plus Day, rolling out new content, promotions, and experiences across all of its parks. The streaming service has been a success compared to early estimates, surpassing 152 million subscribers as uh, its most recent earnings report. But the stock has been less successful, down nearly 18% since the Disney Plus launch. And with all the buzz today around Amazon's Ring of Power, Rings of Power and HBO's House of Dragon, what can Disney do to keep the momentum going? Joining me now is an expert in media, Axios Media reporter Sarah Fisher. Sarah, good morning. Hi, good morning. So what should we expect today from Disney and, and over the weekend? And will it be enough to move the needle? It's going to be a big day for Disney fans. Not only is there going to be exclusive looks at new trailers, et cetera, but there's a lot of content that caters to people all over different ages, different families, et cetera. So first of all, the latest Thor movie is coming to Disney Plus as of today. The new live action remake of Pinocchio, a big family hit, will be hindering Disney Plus today. But then you're also going to get a lot of content, things like you know, titles from ABC, Dancing with the Stars is going to have some new episodes that are coming on. There's a Frozen 2 sing-along. And then in addition to that, if you're just a Disney fan in general, Disney Plus Day brings you all sorts of deals and look-aheads for other types of products. There's going to be perks for Disney's parks and resorts. Certain uh, Marvel and Star Wars movies are going to be hitting AMC theaters. And so this is really meant to celebrate the Disney ecosystem as much as it is the Disney Plus subscriber, uh, streaming subscriber experience. Because of the slowdown in the economy, more volatility on Wall Street, Sarah, there's been a broader focus on cost cuts, right, and preserving margins in this type of environment. So that's great. They're, they're releasing all this new content. But at the end of the day, will it be enough to, to bring more subscribers to Disney, especially at a time where it is certainly getting more competitive? It's going to be tough, especially if you take a look at where Disney is growing. If you take a look at their last quarter, they, like other streamers, are starting to face saturation here in the U.S. and Canada. And so they're looking abroad for growth. In uh, Disney's case, a lot of that growth continues to come from India, and it's to be seen if that growth will continue now that they're no longer going to have the streaming rights for cricket. I'd say this, you know, in years past, when Disney would have these big investor days or Disney Plus, say, last year, they would roll out a lot of new content. I mean, you would get tons of details on upcoming Marvel films, release schedules, et cetera. 
What feels different to me about this Disney Plus Day is that it's a lot more focused on the Disney fan experience across its entire portfolio. And I think that is, to your point, because Disney needs to not only beef up its subscriber totals for Disney Plus, but it needs to beef up the products that continue to bring in revenue for the company. Again, looking at things like parks and resorts, maybe some of its theatrical releases, and it can use that money to help bolster its streaming experience. But for now, to your point again, Wall Street really just wants to see Disney continue to post profit while adding those subscribers on Disney Plus. You know, on the topic of competition, on the topic of competition, Sarah, I want to get your take on Bob Iger speaking at Code last night on the state of the streaming landscape. Listen in. I don't think all streamers are created equal. I do not believe all streamers that are in it today will survive. There are going to be haves and have-nots. Mm -hmm. Well, now that you're not working, can you name some names? I, you know, I can tell you I believe that, that well, Netflix is going to continue to thrive. They could have some issues now, but you know, they're yeah, not going souring, away. But seems Clearly, I'm a big believer in Disney. Mm -hmm. They've got the IP. They've already proven they can be successful in that business. That's, of course, the former CEO of Disney from 2005 to, to 2020. But there he just said, Sarah, some of these platforms will not survive. Which one do you think it is? Well, I think some of the smaller platforms that don't have the scale clearly are going to have to figure out whether or not they merge with another service or they get bought out. Those, of course, would be right now you have you know, Paramount Plus, and then you have this combination of whatever Discovery Plus and HBO Max might be, you know, they both have some premium content assets. Paramount Plus with soccer and other sports rights. Of course, HBO Max has a premium in terms of original content. I think, though, that Bob Iger is probably right. Disney Plus and Netflix have the clear lead. If you take a look at numbers globally of people who are subscribers to their services, both of those companies have over 220 million people who pay. Of course, Disney's number also includes Hulu and ESPN+. Plus. That's leaps and bounds ahead of its competitors. And so I think it's the two I just mentioned. I also think you have a bunch of other smaller niche services, the Showtimes of the world and the Stars of the world. Obviously, those won't continue to be standalones forever. They're already starting to be bundled with other services. I expect those to continue to get bundled up and rolled up into bigger services that companies think could one day compete as like a third leg to Netflix and Disney. Yeah, perhaps this leads to more consolidation over time. Interesting to see how Disney is down 27 percent its share performance this year, but actually outperforming Netflix down 61 percent. Uh, Sarah, fascinating times. The media landscape certainly changing. And we like to, to talk to you about how where it could go from here. Sarah Fisher of Axios. Let's get a check on this morning's headlines outside of markets and Wall Street. NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with the latest. Francis. Hi, Seema. Good morning. We start with at least four people who are dead and three injured after a terrifying shooting spree that paralyzed the city of Memphis. 19-year-old Ezekiel Kelly is in custody after police say he drove around the city for five hours shooting at people. And at least one of the shootings was broadcast on Facebook Live. This video posted to Facebook shows the moment he was arrested, a shelter-in-place order had been in effect for hours. Police say there are at least eight crime scenes. The mayor of Memphis said that last year the suspect was sentenced to three years in prison for aggravated assault, but only served 11 months and was released in March. This morning, he faces multiple felony charges. 
Later this morning, Steve Bannon is expected to surrender and face charges in New York. Bannon's lawyer telling CNBC that the former Trump White House advisor will turn himself over to authorities at 9 a.m. Eastern. The attorney did not give any details about the criminal charges Bannon is facing, but last year the Manhattan DA opened an investigation into his connection to a group that was supposed to use private funds to build a border wall. In a statement to NBC News, Bannon called the charges phony. And finally, Merriam-Webster is adding over 350 new words to the dictionary. This year's editions include metaverse. We are saying that a lot. It's defined as a virtual persistent environment. And springing from the pandemic, we have subvariant, which is two or more distinctive forms or types of the same variant. And just in time for fall, pumpkin spice. It is defined by the ingredients commonly used in a pumpkin pie. But Seema, as you and I both know, Everything now has evolved in a pumpkin spice latte. You've got the pumpkin spice candles. I did a deep deep dive. Decorations. There's also been Pringles, hummus. Really? Pumpkin spice deodorant. And then even, even like car detail spray. In your favorite pumpkin spice. Too much, too much. I don't get it, but there we go. Francis, good to see you. Thank you. Sure thing. Francis Rivera. Still on deck, a federal judge taking Elon Musk to task in his legal fight with Twitter. Why she's slamming the Tesla CEO in his bid to abandon his takeover deal. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We will be right back. Stocks looking to keep the rally rolling with the Nasdaq snapping its longest losing streak since 2016. But the gains may be short-lived with futures muted at this hour. Apple officially unveiling its newest iPhone along with a slate of other hardware updates. But are they enough to get investors back into the tech favorite? And the NFL set to kick off a new season tonight. Contessa Brewer laying out the big boom. Online gambling is set to see as football makes its return. It is Thursday, September 8th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan right now. It is 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Let's take a look at how your trading day is set up after a rebound that we saw on Wall Street with the Nasdaq gaining about 2% in yesterday's trade. Futures right now indicating a lower open. We started the show higher. The Dow is currently down 16 points. Nasdaq lower by five points. The 10-year yield, take a look, lower as we await the European Central Bank interest rate decision. Uh, It's trading right now now at around 3.2%. We were at 3.3% yesterday. Turning to the oil market, crude prices falling to their lowest level since Russia invaded Ukraine on recession fears and that downbeat China trade data. Take a look at WTI crude at $81.32, down about three-fourths of 1%. Ice brand crude back below $90 a barrel at 87 Let's get a check on this morning's top stories, including a big move in GameStop. Pippa Stevens has that story for us. Hi, Pippa. Seema, shares of GameStop are surging ahead of the open, despite reporting that quarterly sales declined and losses grew as it burned through cash and inventory increased. But the company also revealing a new partnership with crypto exchange FTX. GameStop will start selling FTX gift cards at some of its stores as part of the union. The move marks the company's latest crypto venture after launching a digital wallet earlier this year, allowing transactions in Marketplace. It says it's building for gamers and others to trade NFTs. 
Amazon's CEO says the company doesn't plan to order its corporate employees to return to the office. Speaking at the Code Conference, Andy Jassy said the company has embraced remote and hybrid work, and Amazon's policy on the matter is an evolving work in progress. Jassy says most Amazon corporate employees have returned to physical offices. Amazon's position on remote work differs from some of its tech peers, with Google and Apple looking to get employees back in the office at least three days a week. And Elon Musk facing harsh criticism from the judge overseeing his legal fight with Twitter over his failed takeover bid. The judge ruling there were, quote, glaring deficiencies in how Musk and his lawyers responded to Twitter's request for text messages he and a top aide sent and received about the proposed deal and subsequent effort to abandon it. She's ordered that phone records about the text be turned over. And Seema, the twists and turns in this case are really something. Extraordinary, really. Pippa, thank you. Now to Apple and its big event yesterday, the tech giant unveiling upgrades to several of its products, including the iPhone, watch and AirPods. One of the big takeaways outside of the new bells and whistles on the products, prices remaining relatively unchanged from last year. Draw your attention to shares of Apple, which right now are trading uh, flat on the hour. So what do the new products mean for the tech giant's stock and investor sentiment? Joining me now is Ivan Feinseth, CIO and Director of Research at Tigris Financial Partners. Ivan, good morning. Good morning. What did you think of the lineup? iPhone, watch, AirPods? All right, so clearly a positive reaction from you. But do you think it's enough to provide upside to its September numbers? Absolutely. First of all, there's a tremendous install base that cycles through upgrades. I think we have uh, a potential of over 250 million potential upgrades if you look at the frequency of the cycle. I think uh, Apple continues to deliver in quality and improvement and functionality. And I think that some of the new safety features and the new health tracking features are very intriguing. And I think that that will drive consumer interest and the purchase of the new products. Many analysts had expected Apple to increase prices for some of its iPhones, at least. But we didn't see that. Why do you think that is? We know inflation uh, is affecting all technology companies right now and not to mention the supply chain challenges as well. Because it's not so much about the sale of the hardware, it's the sale of the services. And as they continue to introduce new phones with increasing functionality that can take advantage of the new services they offer, it's about the growth of the service revenue. So I don't think that they, uh, well, first of all, I think Apple is a very efficient manufacturer. So I, I think that they are able to sometimes hold the line on cost. And it's about bringing new people into the Apple ecosystem, driving the upgrades and driving increased subscription revenue for their services. And uh, the fact that the phone and the watch include increased fitness and healthcare functionality, it will drive increased subscriptions to the Apple Fitness Plus uh, product. Yeah, 36 hour battery life. It's great for some of us for who forget to charge their, their, their watch. But if this announcement is so great, why are we seeing the stock fall, in, not just yesterday, but in the last month or so? Well, but historically, the events have never been a stock moving or market moving event, but it is an important part of Apple's business. So um, but I think that you know, most of what they announced was expected. Uh, the increase, the uh, camera, the 48 megapixel camera on the um, iPhone Plus, I mean Pro, and um, uh, it's about not so much the introduction, which is important. It's about the ongoing upgrade cycle and the ongoing increase in services revenue that comes over time. 
You think keeping a lid on prices was part of its strategy to continue to win in a market like China, where you do have more price conscious customers? Yes. I mean, it is a competitive market. There are a lot of phone choices. I mean, for Apple, there's only Apple, but obviously there's Android phones, but made by several other manufacturers, especially high-end phones. And consumers lean to spend on more high-end and more expensive phones because people's smartphones are such an important part of their personal and professional life that they're willing to make the expenditure there even in the case of maybe cutting back for, on other things. So the consumer is definitely committed, and Apple sells more of the uh, pro phones that, than they do of the, um, the lower-priced phones. They tend to run mm -hmm. out of the pro phones. So it shows that the demand is there, and it's about, again, all about the growth of the Apple ecosystem and the services revenue, which I think is at a run rate now to exceed over $100 million, billion in revenue over the next year. Yeah, and just fascinating that half of its total revenue comes from the iPhone. Ivan, appreciate your time walking us through Apple. Stock is trading at $156 and change right now. Have a great day. Let's turn to sports. Football fans rejoice. The new season is set to kick off tonight and the return of the NFL looking to provide a big bump for the bottom line of online gambling platforms. Contessa Brewer tracks these names. Contessa. Hi, Seema. Good to see you this morning. Yeah, a record number of Americans are expected to bet on NFL games this year, according to the American Gaming Association. Its new survey indicates 46.6 million Americans say they'll gamble on a game and nearly half say they'll bet online. That's an 18 percent increase from last year. A lot can change in a year. Take Caesars, for instance. Last year, its sportsbook was live in 19 states, 13 of which offered mobile gambling. Today, it's live in 26 states or jurisdictions. I mean, we're including Ontario, Canada here. And 19 of those offer mobile betting. That kind of expansion is happening across the industry, fueling expectations for record-setting revenue. The American Gaming Association points out that sports betting revenue at commercial casinos is more than $3 billion for the first six months of this year up nearly 64% from the same period last year. But the operators are still looking at their promotional expenses getting in the way of profitability. For now, I talked with Entain CEO Yetta Nygaard Anderson, who's a 50-50 partner with Bet, in Bet MGM with MGM Resorts. And she told me about turning the corner and making money. We've always expected that the, you know, the promotional activity also for this NFL season would continue to be strong. So that's all how we expected it to be. And we're really good at flexing our marketing. So that's what we're focusing on. But everything we see right now, we are still tracking as we expected. And we're focused on coming profitable next year. We've heard a similar target from other operators, but the group is clearly under pressure. From this time last year, DraftKings is down 74%. It has seen a pop this week. Penn down 62%. Caesars is down 58%. And Bally's down 52%, despite the massive expansion and the revenue growth that we have seen in sports gambling since then. But, you know, Seema, if you're the kind of person who likes to bet on Americans' love of football and sports gambling, this may just be seen as a buying opportunity. And we'll see. NFL starts this weekend. What about the question, Contessa, around the potential harm of online gambling? What, what are you hearing on that front? 
Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is when you see and hear a lot of advertising around it, it's coming up, and especially from parents, a concern about whether it will lead young people into problem gambling. This is a Responsible Gambling Month. We are seeing the industry try to put this issue front and center. There's a lot of resources online through the American Gaming Association, which has a have a game plan, bet responsibly action, or even companies like Entain that are putting a lot of money into looking at the science behind addiction and making sure that the markers that indicate players are heading down the wrong path, that they get disrupted early on. That they And now the technology exists, Seema, even on mobile, where they can see that early on and help players take advantage of the resources that are available. Well, that's encouraging. Clearly a lot of potential here. Contessa, thank you. Great to see you. Contessa Brewer. Sure. And be sure to tune in to the kickoff of NFL's new season tonight on NBC and Peacock. As the defending champs, the L.A. Rams take on the Buffalo Bills. It all starts 7 p.m. Eastern. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the future of the office space. As more companies look to wind down work from home protocols, the hurdles the commercial real estate sector faces in that push. Worldwide Exchange will be right back. A new survey by CBRE shedding new light on more than 150 companies, their plans to get workers back into the office. 51% of companies saying they expect office attendance to increase following the Labor Day holiday, while 54% of managers say their employees are in the office less than expected. But perhaps most interesting, just 31% of real estate managers anticipate their company office portfolios expanding over the next three years, with more employers asking workers to resume in-person work. Does this mean remote work is in the rearview mirror? Let's talk about this and more with Spencer Levy, global client strategist and senior economic advisor at CBRE, the firm behind those numbers. Spencer, it's great to see you this morning. We know it's been a challenge for companies to get employees back into the office what does that mean for the commercial real estate market? What are you seeing? Well, we certainly have seen a, a bit slower people coming back to the office than we expected. And it's different by region, uh, certainly slower in the United States, Europe and Australia than, in Australia than we've seen in Asia. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it is uh, people are coming back. And what it means for the commercial real estate office market is this, is people are trying to anticipate not only when people will come back, but when will greater leasing activity come back. And I would say that the good news is that we've actually seen a significant pickup in leasing activity in terms of leasing new space uh, versus the somewhat disappointing amount of people coming back physically to the office. Uh, but nevertheless, that is coming back slowly, but it is coming back. And where is it coming back? Is it mostly confined to cities like New York and San Francisco? No, that's actually not the case. Uh, New York and San Francisco were a bit of a laggard behind some of the southern cities in the United States, cities like Dallas, where I happen to be sitting right now, Austin, Texas, uh, some Phoenix, Arizona, Florida. A lot of these southern and southeastern cities have been faster than some of the major markets like New York, San Francisco, Chicago. But even in those markets, we are slowly seeing people come back to the office. What does that mean for pricing? Are commercial real estate owners doing more to provide incentives to get these companies to, to sign new listings? Well, clearly. And when you sign a commercial real estate lease, the ways that landlords give you incentives isn't just the rent. It's what's also known as the tenant improvement allowance or money to fit out the space. And clearly, we've seen an increase in those tenant improvement allowances uh, to give people incentives to come back into their space. But landlords are also upgrading the physical building itself for things like having a more sustainable building, which is a big issue for many occupiers, having more flexible space, having more outdoor amenities. 
They're doing all these things that are outside of the tenant's individual space to get them into the building, but then an additional incentive is being given to the tenant himself. Of those companies who are increasing their office footprint, can you describe the profile of these tenants, technology companies, financial firms, banks? What are you seeing? Well, I would say it's all over in terms of which clients are getting bigger faster, uh, because I think that different clients have different types of incentives to get people back. Now, I would say, as a general matter, all of them have cultural reasons, productivity reasons, collaboration reasons for wanting to get people back into the office. But some of them have regulatory reasons. Financial services firms have to have security that is at a higher level than perhaps other firms. So they have to have people back into the office more than others, but also firms that have more of an apprenticeship culture, which could include accounting firms, law firms, others, have to get people back into the office so that they can not only get the work done, but more importantly, it help them advance in their careers in soft ways like communication and networking skills. We know return to work is a challenge for real estate in general, but isn't rising interest rates a bigger challenge for these commercial real estate companies? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. They're, they're really, I would say, equal in terms of problems of getting people back into the office so that people have the certainty of when leasing is going to happen. But the rising interest rates have been a significant issue in a variety of ways. So first of all, rising interest rates have raised the cost of capital. And by raising the cost of capital, it has caused cap rates or the yields on office buildings uh, to rise, as it has in most other real estate asset classes as well. But because interest rates have ri- risen along with inflation, what you're seeing is the cost of of CapEx has gone up as well. But in addition to the CapEx for an individual asset, it has also gone up for the cost of new construction. So I guess on the other side of the coin, new construction will slow down a bit as well because interest rates and inflation is higher, which will help to some degree the existing office stock. No, it's a good point, though. Everything is just a bit more expensive when you have rates and inflation coinciding and moving higher. Spencer, great to see you. Thanks for that. Spencer Levy of CBRE. Thank you. On deck, stocks working to try and keep the momentum going. Greg Sarian and Gina Sanchez laying out what you need to watch in the trading day ahead. And be sure to sign up for the most powerful investment series of the year. CNBC's Delivering Alpha returning on September 28th with economic leaders, policymakers, and the world's best investors sharing their expert insights. Just scan the QR code on your screen right now or go to DeliveringAlpha.com to register. We will be right back. Welcome back. It's another busy day ahead for investors and traders. We've got weekly jobless claims out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. We also get earnings from DocuSign and RH, formerly known as Restoration Hardware. The European Central Bank's rate decision is out at 8.15 a.m. Eastern. The markets are expecting an aggressive move, possibly 100 basis points. Fed Chair Jerome Powell is speaking at the Cato Institute's annual monetary policy conference just after 9 a.m. Eastern. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will be at Ford's electric vehicle plant in Michigan this afternoon to deliver a major address on the president's economic agenda. Back to the markets right now. Futures indicating a lower open. Coming off a solid rebound, the best performance in nearly a month, snapping a seven-day losing streak for the Nasdaq, which ended yesterday higher by 2%. Let's bring in Greg Sarian, founder and CEO of Sarian Strategic Partners at Hightower, and Gina Sanchez, CEO of Chantico Global and a CNBC contributor. It's great to see you both as we get set up for the trading day. Gina, we are uh, about two hours away from an ECB interest rate decision. Economists are expecting anywhere between 75 to 100 basis points. Why will this meeting be uh, significant for U.S. investors? 
Well, look, I think right now we're, we're looking to see kind of where Europe <clears throat> lands. Um, there's still a lot of pessimism. The dollar is very strong. And so the ECB really has to step up its game if it's going to keep um, in, you know, in line with U.S. rate hikes, which have been aggressive and have been promised to continue to be aggressive uh, until inflation eases. Um, and, you know, Europe is really girding itself for the, the winter to come, um, which could be really painful um, or it could be less painful. And so I think that that right now, um, if you look at the trading markets, uh, you know, most investors are siding with kind of keeping their money on shore in the U.S., even though Europe is really cheap because it's cheap for a reason. Um, and this rate hike, while I think it's necessary to help ease some of the pain on the dollar, which is part of why, you know, things are so bad in Europe. I don't think that that, you know, it's a it's I still don't think it's going to be a really great time to be buying up European equities, despite how cheap they are. Greg, do you agree or disagree with Gina? 100 percent agree, uh, Stephen. Thanks for having me back. We're, we're just in a painfully slow bottoming process where besides uh, worrying about European markets and, and the war, we've got to navigate how is the Fed going to handle the next three meetings. Uh, our view is we see another maybe 100, 125 basis points. And then there's a tug of war between that and yet we have slowing economic data in, in housing, in retail, but this ultra strong labor market. So th this is just a painfully slow bobbing process. And investors need to brace volatility and have a plan in, in navigating these choppy markets. Yesterday, Gina, Lael Brainer, the uh, vice chairman of the Fed, said that, vice chair, I should say, said the Fed needs to hold its nerve on inflation, reinforcing expectations of a 75 basis point rate hike here uh, in the U.S. at the next meeting in, in late September. Uh, that, that did result in stocks coming off the highs. But we ended up higher uh, across the board yesterday. What do you think is behind this, this change in sentiment? Well, you know, I think the, the question really is, is that the, is the Fed really going to have the nerve to basically continue driving the U.S. into a deeper recession? I think, you know, a mild recession, uh, we probably are already there. Um, but do we sort of force a deeper recession and a labor recession, which seems to be the goal of the Fed, is really to break the back of inflation by breaking the back of wage inflation, um, which is still running uh, a little higher than, than long-term averages. Um, and, and, you know, that, that is, you know, wage inflation is actually a productive kind of inflation. It tends to cause real demand. And so that's where the Fed could step in. But it's going to be pretty painful if they stay on their course. I think the markets, however, everybody is basically, you know, kind of questioning the Feds whether or not the Fed will really do this. And oil has already come off because demand, um, you know, was really shrunken probably partially by the Fed, but just because oil prices were so high and crimp demand. So commodity prices like really already did a lot of the work that the Fed is going to have to do. So is the Fed really going to have to continue? That's the question. Yeah. And how much weakness does the Fed want to see in the labor market? Greg, you alluded to this point as well. Oil now at the lowest level since uh, April of this year. Uh, what's your trade on commodities? So that, that we believe is just evidence, Seema, of resulting in slower demand. So this is the effect of these rate hikes the Fed has instituted so far. And we think this is going to continue in this range-bound choppy market between now and the end of the year. So investors need to brace this volatility. When we have peaks like we did a couple weeks ago, that's when you take your RMDs, do your year-end gifting. When we have downturns now, this is when you mm -hmm. want to put cash to work in areas that are undervalued. More importantly, 
reassess planning assumptions, your cash flow modeling, because to, to, to Gina's point, we think we stay in a high interest rate, high inflationary environment going into 23, while the Fed may not be raising rates any further at the end of the year. We don't see them going down. We have to leave the conversation there. Uh, But we hear you. Greg and Gina, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate your time. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.